in a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. Welcome to another brand new episode of Topic Thunder. Here from the top 10, I am John Roca. And I am Matt Nost, and this is a show that we do for our patrons. Those lovely, gorgeous people over at patreon.com forward slash the top 10 with the number 10. So please search us out. There's an email address over there and they, people can send in uh, topics, comments, uh, whatever they like. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And, uh, I think it's your turn to start, Matt. So let's get it on. All right. The first one comes from Jason McDonald mm. and he says, fellas, thanks for humoring some previous terrible questions. <laughs> Maybe you can stomach another in your opinion. Which decade had the peak movie experience? I have fond memories in the 90s of getting takeout and struggling to decide which movie I was going to rent and watch 10 times over a weekend. I think about the spec script boom and discovering movies on the shelf rather than internet inundation. Or are today's endless options and convenience the peak of experience and I'm just a nostalgic asshole? Asshole, rather. Uh, I mean, you could buy a 70-inch TV for the price of a Game Boy, which is pretty sweet. What is your peak movie experience? Wait, now he's asking two questions. Which decade had the peak movie experience? And then what is Correct. your peak movie experience? Correct. Bro, that is a fucking tough question, man. It's all relative, isn't it? Matt, I mean, someone in the 1940s or 30s going to see Gone with the Wind. For them, that might have been their peak movie experience or going to see Singing in the Rain in the 1950s or like, you know, Great Escape or any of, or the Westerns even from that time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's tough to say because for us, we look at that and there's all oh, those are dated films, but for that time, that was cutting edge technology. That yeah. was cutting edge. So it's tough to say that there's one decade that necessarily had the peak movie experience over another decade. I mean, because you could argue event films haven't been a thing until Jaws with the summer movie blockbusters. Yeah, were there epics in the past? Yeah, like Lawrence of Arabia. What was that like to see for the first time in a theater when no one True. knew what this was like? So, or the Cinerama Dome or whatever. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Plus what? I have the, so the first thing I thought I was like, oh, well, the seventies because there were so many good movies that came out, but I yeah. have no idea what the movie going experience was like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at that time. I would imagine. The film quality was okay. Yeah. Like who knows how good the seats were? Was it hot? Did they have AC running? Was the concessions any good? Did yeah. people have the standard etiquette that they have now by and large? Uh, there's still disruptive assholes in movies, but right. people know basically the, the ground rules of shut the fuck up, turn your phone off, you yeah. know. Try and be respectful of those around you. Was that, I don't, so I, I can only go off of what I experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's tough. I mean, because like, yeah, cause it's to me, I, I view going to the movies in the seventies, like, and I was around. So clearly I went, I just don't remember much of the experience. 
Um, but to me, it seems pretty similar to what we see in Taxi Driver, that kind of vibe of being in a movie in the 1970s, you know? So I can't imagine this was peak. I don't know if there was that many, that much technological advancement in terms of the screen and the sound. Like Star Wars, I know came out. Do you think it, do you think it had like, it was Lucas. Did he have that cachet to even demand that that top of the line sound? No, No, because he, he created THX for that reason. Yeah. Right. Good point. Yes. So then clearly, yeah, when they came out with Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. they had rules as to the decibel level yeah, that right. it had to be played at. People complained that it was too loud. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is funny because when I saw Crystal Skull, it was too uh, quiet, and I <laughs> went out and be like, "Hey, listen, I think you guys need to turn it up a little bit because you don't feel those little punches." And I'm yeah. like, "You're supposed to in an Indiana Jones film, right?" Um. But yeah, what was the sound quality like? I gotta assume the film quality was okay. Yeah. But not great. Right. Um, there's a reason why a lot of those are grainy too. A lot of those films are still grainy even when you transfer. Like the Godfather 4K is still grainy. Even the most recent transfer is still grainy. And yeah, I know it's because of the original or whatever, but clearly, and you know, we're watching Winning Time on HBO Max and that is kind of, they've treated the film. Yeah. To intentionally, rainy intentionally, yeah, because that's how it felt in the seventies. So, I don't know if the seventies is necessarily a peak movie decade, even though the actual movies themselves, the caliber, probably the greatest decade mm-hmm. for movies ever. But yeah, I mean, that's a, I mean, the, can I compare Jurassic Park to Titanic or to sure the Batman, which I just recently saw in IMAX, which is incredible, or First Man, which really blew my fucking mind in IMAX. Or gravity in IMAX, which was incredible. So I don't know. I don't know. I imagine now you could argue is the peak because we're more aware of sound. We're more aware of, of visual, uh, quality with 4K and all of that and 20K and 8K even happening now. So I guess nowadays would be the peak movie going experience. But then next, the 10 years from now, Matt, that's going to be the peak movie going experience. So yeah, it's tough to say in terms of decade, you know? I mean, it might've been like five to 10 years ago because you still got a mix of the tent poles plus like adult dramas and whatnot. So you could go to the theater and see a much better resolution because you can't replicate that on your TV at the time. Yeah. And get all those extra accoutrements. Yeah. Um, whereas now it is slowly but surely phasing into, if it's not going to be a blockbuster, it's not going to movie theaters. Right. 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 Um, so that experience is going to be different. I mean, I do like the streaming on demand, so I didn't have to waste my time having gone seen, uh, Kingsman or Eternals in the theater. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. nice. And I get to watch it on my big TV. I don't have a 70 inch, right. but, uh, I've got a, you know, a nice size TV, just like most people do in this country. Yeah. Um, cause they, they are. Relatively cheap, all things considered. Yeah, if you're not, you know, if you're not too much of a stickler on quality, you can get a, de- a, a, a decent to good yeah. 4K television at 55 inches for $300, $400. It's not that much. Yeah. Yeah, it's even driving I mean, well because they know that 8K is coming and they're yeah. trying to phase you out of that. And then after that, it's 16 and then 32, and we're just going to keep doing this rig and roll. <laughs> I mean, there's a point at which it can't really, there's no, there is no point. Yeah, I don't disagree. The human eye cannot discern the difference. And plus, 
sometimes in high def, you're like, I don't know if I want to see it with as much clarity. To yeah. Be honest. Yeah. Certain films are like, ah. yeah, I was just like, oh, fuck, man. This dude looks old as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I wasn't anticipating it's nothing wrong with that, man. I appreciate the fact that you're wearing your age as opposed to trying to do filler and Botox and injections and all that shit. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't expecting that. Um, so it does take you out of it every once and again. I just because the quality is so incredibly good now. I, I do love the on-demand world. It's pretty great. Oh, but yeah. Nothing tops a movie-going experience. Yeah, agree. Can you imagine like those – you see the old footage of – uh, Star Wars and stuff where line is wrapped around like seven blocks. Yeah. Like I love movies. I don't know if I'm sitting in that line, at least mm-hmm. having grown up in the era that I grew up where you didn't have to do that. I mean, we were doing it for COVID, right? To try to get into a store to get food. Yeah. Get in, but like, yeah, normally now we're just so we can access anything we want to access that we don't have to stand in line for it necessarily. And yeah, you make an excellent point. And wasn't that far? I mean, surely in Comic-Con. So you're still sharing your lines, but like for a movie, that's really rare. And it wasn't that long ago that I did stand in line for a movie and you waited in. Like I remember Phantom Menace in 1999 when we were there at uh, Tallahassee. Uh, we would, we were sitting in line to mm. get tickets to see the thing. So. It, you know, probably up until what, 10 years ago, that was a still, a, that was somewhat still a thing. And now it's very much not. So yeah, I would say it was a thing up until the past few years to where you can use an app to go on and reserve right. a specific seat. So you don't right. have to go and sit through all that nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I love that advent of here's what's available. I'm specifically taking this seat. Yes. Right. Exactly. That is one of my favorite things about modern movie going yeah. experience. Yeah. Don't have to show up super early to get a specific seat. Yeah. And then you're forced to watch 25 minutes to 30 minutes of trailers. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And then if it's going to be a larger movie, they even tack on an extra trailer or two. <laughs> Jesus Christ, guys. Uh, you know, I've heard in some places they're doing intermissions for the Batman movie. Then I was shocked by that. I was like, what? Hello, a three-hour movie plus 30 minutes of trailers. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I don't agree with it, but I guess. I know, right? You're losing – but I imagine you're losing screenings by adding the, even more time to one screening. You're losing the of the amount of screenings. But then again, as you pointed out, Matt, um, you know, there's less and less of those medium to smaller films taking up the slots at a multiplex – it's the big film. Oh, yeah. it's multiple screenings of it. I mean, yeah. Batman took over mm. so many different theaters. Flat out took over. Yeah, yeah. Where that opening weekend, if you looked at their slate, it is – there's one by me because uh, I – you know, AMC is what I use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the Americana, it was like every 15 minutes or every half an hour nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. Just like one after another after another. There was no breaks. Just, what else is playing here? Wow. They're just running this one movie. Yeah. Uh, I didn't look at the rest of their slate because I didn't really care. I was just looking for potential screenings to go see, you know, the Batman. But right. you see something like that, you're like, fucking, you know, fucking hell, man. Yeah. Yeah. How does another movie open against that? That's a good point. It's a good question. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. 
Um, but do you have a, just to end this question here, what is your peak movie experience? Do you have a peak movie experience? Or was there one movie you went to see and it just kind of was like the apex? I don't know if I have a, I have a lot of fond memories as a kid. Yeah. Walking out of a movie where I was hotly anticipating it and I loved every second of it. And it was such a joy to leave. And this happened as an adult, but it carries more weight as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember walking out of Crusade, Last Crusade, and just yeah. that was amazing. You know, this series, wow, love it. It was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, Return of the Jedi was the same. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. And I was a really little kid for that one, so I was so excited. And I ended up seeing that at least twice because my grandma took me. It's like the only <laughs> movie she ever took me to. Wow. Uh, well, we didn't live near one another. Right, right, right. So. That's cool. Um, but I'm trying to think, do you have a singular one? The one I have is weird because it was a combination of factors, right? And some of you are going to laugh at the choice. But, I mean, Titanic was a very peak movie-going experience for me because – I had been obsessed with the Titanic itself for like two or three years before the mm-hmm. film came out. And I think the pop culture zeitgeist was into the stories as well. And I was reading the books. I was watching the documentaries. I remember A&E, I still recommend people to this three-hour documentary that A&E did on the Titanic, which is one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen about that. And they have a couple of the last living survivors who were children on the documentary talking about their experiences they remember on the ship. Um, and so I had read so much and studied so much and saw so much. And I loved Cameron as a filmmaker. And I was a big Kate Winslet fan. I had a crush on her. And the trailer, I remember blowing me away. And I thought, oh, I got to see this. And then hearing all the production that they built the, the ship to nine-tenths the size of it. Mm-hmm. And then going in there, staying an extra day before I drove home to Virginia on a winter break. And seeing it with a bunch of friends, I was speechless after we went to the in and out afterwards. I couldn't say a word for like an hour. I was just kind of, you know, I was back in that day where everything was so like new to me, making this change in my life to pursue acting and pursue film and studying film and all that. So for me, that kind of just put the zap in me, but good. And then I went back and saw it like seven different times. Mm-hmm. And there's just something about the experience. And the feel, and I could almost feel the cold when I was watching the movie the first time. So just all of it combined to really blow me away, movie-going experience-wise. The sound, the, the cinematography, the acting. Yeah, the script, not that great. But the production design was stellar. And so, yeah. and, and when it made a billion dollars, which was unheard of back then, I I was even more like, wow, I, this is this is a great moment to be a part of communally in the world, you know? So, um, yeah, I guess I would say that. And I know I wish I could say, you know, Avengers Endgame was an incredible or Avengers Infinity War actually was the more incredible experience being at a, uh, being at a, at the premiere of it and having a bunch of critics go dead silent as all these people died and it went to the fucking credits and hearing the sniffles of people, critics hearing the sniffles. Really? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I never understood why people were so like, listen, they just killed Spider-Man. They didn't kill Spider-Man. 
They just killed Black Panther. They did not fucking kill Black Panther. Trust well, me. Look, I mean, you cry in a movie theater when someone dies. You know yeah. they're not really dying in real life. No, no I'm You're just saying the property, that actor is coming back. They're going to oh, bring him sure. back somehow in the next one. I would say in game when the portals, like Cap on oh, the yeah. left. That's a great move. Oh. That was like, oh shit, because you know it's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to bring these characters back at some point. Right. And what a great, let's bring over the portals. That's a great They all choice. just come. I was yeah. like, in the theater, that was flat out amazing. Agreed. Agreed. And then they had a bunch of those woohoo moments during the fight. Right. Avengers Assemble and the ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avengers Assemble yeah. and like all the women uh, teaming yeah. up. That got a big roar uh, from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. They had numerous moments in that, but the cap on your left. Hairs on the back of my neck. I was like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah. And I've gone back and watched, like Feige put a video up of when the opening night of watching right. that with a crowd, but that specific moment. And I've gone back, there's YouTube uh, oh, yeah. compilations of various screenings having that. Cause I think that was, that's something that definitely resonated with me. Yeah. I, I think that's a, gr- that equals everything. I, Cause I mean, we had built through how many movies, Matt, to get to that. Yeah, 21, 22 yeah. movies, something ridiculous. So I think that's an incredibly great choice. And maybe that's even rivals my choice because for me, in my mind, I mean, because I remember that moment. I remember the reaction in the theater, even though I was a screening. Again, I was at a screening. I still remember the reaction of people yeah. losing their fucking minds and then going to see it with friends and seeing them lose their fucking minds. And even now, you like you said, you can watch it now and you can still feel the hair. Yeah. The back of your neck go up. It still has the effect. Yeah. And especially, you know, the first 45 minutes to hour of that movie is really slow as they're yeah. building back yeah. up to this huge climactic ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so. and the way they did it too, Matt, that it wasn't like loudly pronounced. It was in his ear through yeah. a calm. Little static coming yeah. through and just cap, cap, cap. What? So good. That Mjolnir. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. When you see Thor, it's like, I know it. But we were all like, yes, he is worthy. But it, it, it had that ridiculous effect because they had built to it. Yeah. For so long. Yeah. So maybe that's the answer in the end. I mean, overall, yeah, Endgame is the right answer. Uh, but for me personally, Titanic is my own thing, but Endgame, absolutely overall, that is a, a maybe number one peak movie going experience. If you've watched all the movies and you were invested in this universe, yeah, what an incredible payoff. Yeah. Inc- flat out incredible payoff. Yeah. They yeah. really did justice to all the people that put in so much time and effort yeah. over the course of a decade and 20 something projects. Yeah. yeah. They paid it off so beautifully. It's true. Let's get, let's get Feige and Star Wars guys. Come on. <laughs> Something got because a lot of the new Marvel they keep introducing, like the Kit Harrington in Eternals. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I give a shit about this, <laughs> and I definitely give a shit about the Eternals. Yeah. And but that Doctor Strange been, two trailer looked cool. So I haven't seen it yet because I'm on. Oh, I don't want to see it. Really? Don't. Oh, uh, I'm gonna see that movie. Right, 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 right. I don't want to see the trailer. That's very worth. Just like oh. if there's a Thor Love and Thunder, I don't want to see it. Ooh. Because okay. I am, I'm already going to see it, the film as soon as it comes out. Man, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Taika and that cast, you got me. The next yeah. Guardians, I'm in. Yeah, true. Much as some people want to recast certain roles in that movie, I think it's pretty perfect. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't change 
Uh, anybody in it person, that's just me. Oh my God. Jeez. That's just me. So, uh, such cheap pops. All right. Let's move on to our next question. Uh, thank you, Jason McDonald for that one. Um, Phil Knuckles, Phil Knuckles have been here says, Hey guys, hope you're both well. The NBA trade, uh, the NBA trade deadline just passed and there were some interesting, if somewhat questionable moves made. I'd love to hear your opinions on what went down. Cheers. Phil, the bathtub guy, Knuckles. Oh, oh Phil. Listening to us in the bathtub. Right. Yeah, the guy that sent us a picture of him listening to us in the bathtub. <laughs> I love it. Matt, the host of Dropping Dimes, uh, what were the questionable, interesting moves that you saw this time around? Uh, I mean, it, the one that, that left out the most was the Tyrese Halberton for uh, mm-hmm. Sabonis. Mm-hmm. And since that trade, both teams have had the exact same record that they had before. Yeah. Nobody's made a tremendous difference. I didn't understand it at the time, especially from the Kings perspective of yeah. technically this is probably the best. Now there may not have been a market for De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. But I would have assumed Halliburton was the only untouchable. And if Halliburton was available, the best you could get was Sabonis. Probably not the case. So I don't know how many teams they've reached out to because I bet you there's a bunch that would have offered on Tyrese Halliburton. So they just really love the idea of combining Sabonis and Fox. It's like an okay. Yeah, I was watching the game with the Suns last night against them. And, I mean, the Suns handled them pretty well. Well, (laughs) The Suns, they're the best team of basketball right now. So, yeah. I mean, right now, this whole season. Yeah, but what's the ceiling? I don't. I don't, nobody's a buyer, I think, at his price point. I get it. Right, right. But Tyrese is cheap and is great. Mm -hmm. And his room for growth is all-star. He's got a shot at it. Um, so I just don't understand that, but you know, whatever. That one was the most glaring. The biggest one, we'll see if it, how it pans out ultimately. Right now it's in the Sixers favor. It's really looking good. Uh, for the six, I still have doubts about the Sixers, but I'm in the lone minority. Hmm. Most people think they're going to come out of the East now. I'm skeptical. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. Simmons is showing up tonight to the game. He's not going to play. He'll play. But he's going to show up to sit on the sideline. To me, I'm where I was a year ago on Embiid. Like I was on Giannis, I guess. So what I'm trying to say is I look at Embiid the way I looked at Giannis last year before he went on the run and won the title. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's got the mentality to drag and kick and scream and push and needle a team to win the title. And I got to see it. Because as great as Harden is, it's Embiid who's got to show up every night. Yeah, it's agreed. Like for the Bucks, Giannis has to show up every night or else the Bucks don't have a shot. And so I don't know that Embiid, for all his talk, for all his criticism of Simmons, for all, if they crash out again, there's no one else to blame but him. You could, I guess you could blame Doc if you want, but Doc's won a title, so he's good. So it's like Embiid, have you won a title? You've got to go and get this thing. And if he kind of shows up with some crap performances, then at that point, you know, there's no longer a cover of Ben Simmons to blame. You've got to take the hit. And can he handle taking the hit? So your questions about the Sixers, although maybe some people don't give you credit for it, I think they're unfounded. I think they're 
absolutely valid. They're not unfounded. Um, and until we see that he, he can be the alpha dog in a situation in a series like this, then, then maybe, you know, then, uh, then maybe they can win the title and maybe they're in line to get it done. But I don't know, man. I don't know. It, 20 to 25 points of their offense a night is predicated upon free throws, making free throws. Yeah. And that dries up. In, in the, the playoffs. Yes, playoffs. it does. Yeah. So that reduces Harden's effectiveness if he's going to try and draw contact. And Embiid gets a lot of free throws. I think he earns most of them, I think. Sure. But my feeling is 80% of his free throws are legitimate. The other 20% are him flopping. Yeah. Um, and it's annoying to watch a dude of that size flop when someone smaller than him hits him. And you're like, dude, get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> it, it pisses me off because he's so good. He's so ridiculously good. Like, uh, Durant was quoted as saying the other day that he was talking to Embiid and Embiid was kind of bragging a little bit. And he's like, look, I got a little Kobe. I got a little Hakeem. I got a little Shaq. Mm. And he said someone else. And Durant was like, you know what? He's not wrong. Mm-hmm. And when you watch him, he's like, yeah, he's got the dream shake. He can body you like Shaq. Yeah. He's got uh, a, a good outside shot. He's mm-hmm. got a little bit of Dirk in him, too. He can do those little fadeaways and shoot well from three. Right. You have too much fucking ability to flop, you son of a yeah. bitch. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Clearly. It pisses me off because people no. point to and be like, well, Giannis is number one in free throws because Embiid is second. It's like, yeah, because Giannis throws his body into yeah. three defenders every time into the lane. Yeah. And when he gets hit, he doesn't immediately crumple to the ground. He tries to land in their face to show them that they're soft and he isn't. Well, this is why I have those questions about Embiid. I just don't 100% think yeah. this guy has that that extra thing you need to have, that fucking alpha dog mentality. I mean, Steph, for all his smiles, Steph is a knife. And Steph wants to win. And so – there's a difference there with Embiid. I think there's a little bit of Shaq in Embiid, a little bit of a laissez-faire at times attitude in certain moments. Not that Shaq wasn't great in his prime. Of course he was, but he also rode with Kobe. And then Dwayne Wade helped him win that other title. But, you know, to me. He rode with Kobe. He led that team. He was the best player on that team, hands down. Uh, fair enough. Fair he enough. was. It was Shaq in his prime. A couple of years later, if they were teammates, Kobe would have been the better player. And maybe, maybe I mean Shaq at, you know, near, when he was sort of. Yeah, not Miami, Cleveland, Shaq. Boston, yeah. all that. He was a shell of his self. Yeah, that's what I feel like sometimes with Embiid is he's a little bit, he's got that kind of, oh, it's not that big of a deal kind of attitude in certain moments. And I think that can cost him a regular season. He shows up for sure almost every year, but like here in the playoffs, I wonder. Yeah, we'll see. But I mean, right now, them, Boston, the East is really weird. Miami's number one, but yeah. their, their best five have not played more than a handful of games together all season long. So who yeah. knows? They're really deep, but you got to shorten your rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bulls until we get our two biggest defenders, but if we should get all three back. Yeah. Is it going to be enough time for them to transition back in? I think this year's, uh, Hey, let's make it out of the first round. Be competitive in the second and really look towards next year. I think, I think you're going to be the Atlanta of the playoffs. No, nah, I don't think so. Not this year. You don't think so? All right. I think there are the other team. There are a couple other teams that are just playing better basketball. Fair enough. Yeah, they just. Um, you guys just broke what a five four game winning losing streak or something like that. Yeah, we just we can't play defense without Caruso and Lonzo. And right. We haven't had Pat Williams all year, but without those two, we are a terrible defense. <laughs> we get no turnovers. We give up a shitload of points. Yeah. Uh, and if we play anybody like Embiid, we don't have an answer. 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's a problem. And (sighs) if those guys are out, we don't have an answer for Giannis. We don't have an answer for Tatum and Brown. We don't have an answer for, I mean, it just, we need those dudes back. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I will say this though. I mean, it looks like at least initially Porzingis looks good on my wizards. You had a nice, you got something. Atlanta. You could end up like Atlanta's not running away with that 10 spot. You could nope. overtake them and take that 10. I think that's the best case scenario for you. We're a game and a half out. Mm-hmm. We've gone four and six over our last 10 games, which I'll that's take it. right now. Roughly though, what Atlanta is doing, what are they four and six or three and seven? In the they last were five game? and five the last 10. Okay. Games. Five and five, but they've lost two in a row. So you never know, man. We could slide. You don't, but I would suck for Trey Young, to be honest with you. But yeah. Um, sorry. What are you saying? Nothing. I, I, I hope you overtake him. I don't much <laughs> care for watching Trey Young personally. Oh, wow. Wow. Strong statements. I don't. I'm glad they legislated out a bunch of the bullshit that he was doing. The stop short on. Oh yeah, to get his defender behind him, so then he could jump into him, and suddenly somehow it's the defender's fault, and be like, "Dude, that is not basketball," and you know it. Although I do love it when he nutmegs guys. I think that's oh, awesome, dude. And then watch him get pissed off and be like, "Dude, next time, don't get fucking nutmegged. <laughs> you left your legs open. Don't man. get yeah. Like uh, you know, when he was, I think it was rookie year or sophomore year, he did Trevor Reason. Trevor Reason just oh. pushed him. Yeah, like pissed. Yeah, it's like a tough shit, dude. You got nutmegged. Deal with it. Yeah. Um, you don't want it's a child's it? way out to push. It is. It is. You're right. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, Be better. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's. I agree with you. The Halliburton one is the one that's the most quizzical. But I also think I I do think the hard one has a real good chance of yielding at least taking them to the Eastern Conference. Good. Fight. They could get all the way to the finals. They could. And yeah. this year, you know, if this is CP3's late season injury that normally happens in the playoffs oh. and he got it out of the way. Yeah. Uh, and the Suns are healthy, then the Suns are going to win a championship oh, more yeah. than likely. Yeah. But if CP hurt. gets hurt again, well, the Sixers could win a championship. Yeah. It's possible. He's, he's so determined. I mean, that team is so determined. They're to really win good. Cause they were They're so really fucking bad at losing to. Milwaukee. Yeah. They want to win, man. If there was an outside chance they could have lost the first seed, even though they were up by eight games, which is like CP3 just went down. Booker went out for COVID. Uh, if you guys lose these games and you look at the rest of their schedule and CP wasn't going to come back until April. Yeah. It's like this and Memphis is surging, but those guys keep winning. Seven and three. Yeah. But Denver is coming on now nine and one over their last 10 games. Good God. Yeah. Them and Dallas. Are charging yeah, seven and three. Yeah, uh, that was a great. I mean, that's a quietly damn good trade. Bertans and Dinwiddie have slid right on in, and exactly what that GM was hoping would happen. They've taken the scoring burden a little bit off of Luca, and that's it's allowed him to feel more comfortable with the supporting cast around him. They look reborn as a team, man. Yeah, I I chalk a lot of that up to. There's no longer a second person in this building that thinks they should be the star. Yeah. Well, that helps. It does. That helps. It, it creates a distinct pecking order. Yes. Whereas before, for some reason, Porzingis thought, that, you know, he's quoted as saying, when I came here, I thought I'd be the number one. She's like, in what world did you think that was happening? <laughs> um, and is he going to do that with Beal? Although now the speculation is Beal wants to leave to go to Philly in the offseason. 
we'll see how Philly does. It's, and he'd be, you know, foregoing a lot of money to make that, that move unless he does a sign and trade, but then I don't, you know, Philly would have to sacrifice. You're taking Tobias Harris back for sure. Yeah, that's true. And then that's salary nice. matching plus whatever first, but you, you know, Philly doesn't have much left in the coffers at this point. Mm-mm. It's true. It's true. But yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's, that to me is the, the also the quietly good trade that could help Dallas out. It could, it could, we both could help it. Like it could help Washington out in the long run too. If Beal doesn't go to Philly, um, I think Porzingis now is very clear about who the hell he is. I hope he is. Um, cause Beal is the man in that situation. So yeah, undoubtedly. Um, all right. Well, there we go. Anything else to say on this uh, NBA trade deadline from Phil Knuckles? No, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to us in the bath and, uh, <laughs> make sure to scrub behind your ears. You know, Hello. yeah, scrub behind everything, really. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much for joining this, uh, hanging out with us for this, uh, you talk about his butthole, like you're talking about getting, uh, underneath the sack. Make sure you get the undercarriage, friend. Yes. It's important stuff. It is. It is. Never, never, um, uh, forego the undercarriage. You must always clean the undercarriage. You got to. You got to. <laughs> anyway, we're going to get out of here now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Topic Thunder. We appreciate it madly. Matt, what do we have to tell them? Uh, follow the show at Top 10 Show. I'll spell it out on Twitter and on Instagram and YouTube. It is forward slash the Top 10 Podcast with the number 10. So please hit us up and you can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost. So you follow me at the Roca says uh, everywhere as well. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode here of Topic Thunder. Thunder.